Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. If you're ready to open God's word this morning, would you say amen? Amen. I'm glad that you are. I'm ready to open it as well. So can we take our Bibles this morning and turn to Matthew chapter 2 for this morning's message and for our time together today in Matthew chapter 2. Throughout the course of this Christmas season, we've been going through a series of sermons entitled, God is in control. God is in control. There are many people right now because of circumstances and situations in their life who are looking at life situations and they're really asking the question, what in the world is going on? When they look at the political scene of our country, when they look at the issues of the pandemic and now we're learning about new variants and new expectations and new concerns and new fears and all those different things, it's causing people to question what in the world is going on. There are many of us today, perhaps, that are struggling as well in areas of relationships, whether it be longtime friends that we're no longer close to or coworkers that we were, it seemed to be in unity with, and now there's all sorts of division, even maritally. It seems in this moment in time, there's more strain on marriages than at least I have ever seen or experienced in 18 and a half years of ministry. There's a lot taking place, and people are wondering what in the world is going on. Some of us are even just simply dealing with the discouragement and the defeat that we have in our own heart and in our own emotions. And yet in it all, I believe what God is showing us loud and clear through his word through this season and through every aspect of the Christmas story, it is that simple fact, God is indeed in control. I wanna remind us this morning loud and clear that we do not have to walk in fear Even in times of uncertainty, we do not have to live in panic. We do not have to be wallowing in our discouragement and despair when instead we can walk in confidence. We can walk in joy. We can walk with hope and we can walk with purpose when we live our life, not according to how we feel, but live our life according to the promises of God. But here's the question. Do you know the promises of God? Are you seeking to learn the promises of God? And as you receive them, are you believing them? Are you trusting them? Are you walking in obedience to the promises of God? We've seen already as God interacted through the angel with Mary, we've seen that we can trust the power of God. No matter what we're going through, no matter what the questions are, we can be reminded as the angel told Mary that nothing is impossible with God. We can trust his power. We've seen God's interactions through the angels, specifically with Joseph, and we discover with Joseph that frankly, God's plans was very different than his own. This was not what he was looking for, but we've learned, even when we don't understand it, we can trust the plans of God. But today we see in Matthew chapter two, the passage of scripture that describes the magi or the wise men, and from this, we learn that we can trust the promises of God. If you're able to do so physically, will you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word from Matthew chapter two, trusting the promises of God. Here's what the Bible says. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. 
Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been spoken by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, you are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child and when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way. The star which they'd seen in the east, it went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with what? Great joy. And after coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell to the ground and they worshiped him. And opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Matthew goes on to tell us, verse 13. Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up. Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and he took the child and his mother while it was still night and he left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this morning and I thank you for the time that you've given us together today. Thank you for the freedom that we have in this country to, to open your word publicly, to read it, to study it. But God, I pray more than just opening it and more than just reading it. I pray that we truly hear it and receive it. Would we respond today with faith and with obedience and would you be glorified through our obedience and surrender to you? I pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. you may be seated this morning. Trusting the promises of God. You know, as I think about this passage of scripture and think specifically about this title, Trusting the Promises of God, frankly, that call reminds me of something very personal in my own life, a time when God began to remind me that I can trust his promises. Several years ago now, in fact, it was about 12 years ago, my wife and I, of course, we'd been married at that point for several years, and we had three uh, beautiful and healthy children, most of the time angelic, but sometimes not so much, but three beautiful children. And I remember at that time that we began to experience, my wife began to experience some health complications. And I remember us going to the doctor and us going through a series of exams and tests. And I'll never forget the doctor calling us into to his office. And the doctor said to us, he said, I've got good news and I've got bad news. He said, the good news is, is that you have a beautiful and healthy family. Your three children are growing and, and doing great. But here's the bad news. The bad news is, you're not going to have any more. Well, kind of a backstory there. When Heather and I were engaged and we were praying about our future and planning together, I was asked in the middle of premarital counseling what I thought God might do or what, what I desired to see God do in our marriage. And I just blurted out loud, you know, if God would allow it, I, we'd love to have four children. Heather looked at me with big eyes, you know. We'd love to have four children. And in fact, I, I, if the Lord would allow, I'd like to have two boys and two girls. And Heather and I talked about that and prayed about that for years. And of course, we got married. The Lord blesses the three children at this point. And I'll never forget the doctor looking at us and saying, the bad news is, is that you're not gonna have any more. Well, I knew this doctor and I have a relationship with him. And I cannot say to you why this happened. And maybe it was arrogant on my part. I don't know. But when he said to me, you're not gonna have any more, I, I, 
Not to be rude, but I actually began to laugh. And as I began to laugh, I looked at him and I said to him, my words were, my God will show you, right? I know you're the doctor. I know that you're the professional, but the God I know, he's the one who opens and closes the womb. And so I hear what you're saying, but I know that God has all power. There's nothing he can't do. And I believe God's going to do this. Now, this is not a name it and claim it philosophy or theology. I'm just telling you by conviction, I genuinely believe that God was going to do this. And of course, Heather and I went home. I remember us going home and I'm just like, all right, God, how are you gonna do this? And Heather's a little bit, you know, a little bit more teary-eyed in that moment. And sure enough, as God is my witness, less than a year later, we'd be back in that same doctor's office and I would come with a big smile on my face and say, my God is showing you. Because we were pregnant with our fourth child who became, uh, we, of course, we, she, she's a little girl and we named her Lane Elizabeth. Elizabeth means God has promised or even a response, my promise to God. In other words, what we literally named her is we named her that in the context of we saw her as a fulfillment of God's promise to us. I share that as a reminder today that there may be times in your life that you have circumstances. There may be times in your life that the crowd and the professionals are saying one thing, but friend, I want you to know loud and clear what God has promised, he will do. Listen to what the Bible says in the Old Testament, Joshua 21, verse 45. Not one, everybody say not one. Not one of the good promises which the Lord has made to the house of Israel failed. All came well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. Listen to the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says this, for as many as are the promises of God in Christ, they are yes and amen. In other words, all the promises of God are fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And to that, our response is hallelujah, amen. God's promises are true and we can trust them. So I think from Matthew chapter two, there's four simple things yet profound in their application that I believe God wants us to see about trusting his promises. Number one, I want you to see the discovery of God's promises. The discovery of God's promises. God's promises are found all throughout his word. And with that, there's a reminder today that you're not just going to automatically know the promises of God. You discover the promises of God as you study his word and search for how he's working and moving in your life. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter two, verses one through two, that there's a group of men known as the Magi. Now, in our day today, we like to picture them as kings, though we're not certain that that was the case. In our day today, we often put, as you saw on the image a moment ago, that there were three, but the Bible never says that there were three. It just says that there were plural. There was more than one, and they brought three gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. There's a lot about them that we do not know. But one thing we do know is this. In some way, shape, or form, they discovered the promise of God. In this case, the Bible tells us loud and clear that when they came from the east, they arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. The first way that God got the attention of these magi was perhaps through the star that appeared in the sky. Now, some people would debate this and some people will dismiss it altogether, but I'm loud and clear saying to you that if God can reveal his glory through the heavens, if God can reveal his nature through his image that he has put into all of mankind, if God can speak even through a donkey, then it is nothing for him to speak through a star. 
Now, how this got their attention, I do not know. Some have suggested they they were astronomers. We don't know the details of this, but what we do know is this. We know that they saw a star. They saw it specifically towards Jerusalem, the the capital of the Jews, so to speak. They saw this, and and it called them to, to action. It called them to study. It called them to seek to discern what the meaning of this star might be. It's also interesting to note that there's actually an Old Testament prophecy from over a thousand years earlier that spoke about a star that would appear for the Jews. Listen to the prophecy in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. It says this, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob, that is Israel, a scepter, which is a symbol of power, a symbol of authority, a symbol of rule, a scepter shall rise from Israel. Now, I find that interesting because when the Magi finally get to Jerusalem, they come and they ask the question, they they come and ask the question, where is he who is born the king of the Jews? How they understood this Old Testament prophecy, how they received it, we have no idea. But it seems clear that they knew the Old Testament prophecy. There's going to be a star that's going to announce the rule of a new king, an arrival of a new king of the Jews. And it seems loud and clear because they came and they said, listen, where is he who's born the king of the Jews? For we have come to worship him. What I want you to see is loud and clear that through the promise of God and his word, through the revelation, even through that star, they discovered the promise of God. They identified that this was something significant and great among the Jews. So naturally, they rushed to Jerusalem. After all, when has there ever been a king whose birth was announced through the heavens? They discovered the promise of God. When I think about that reality of discovering the promise of God, for me, it is a reminder loud and clear that while God can use any means possible and he is not confined or limited to our box, so to speak, the reality is this. The reality is that God always speaks in accordance with his word. In fact, it's interesting to note that here in this passage of scripture, five different times in Matthew chapter two, five different times, God gives the answer from an Old Testament prophecy. Five different times here in Matthew chapter two, God fulfills a prophecy. In fact, these prophecies fulfilled in Matthew chapter two span over 1,500 years of time. And yet in Matthew 2, God was fulfilling them. Why? Because God is always faithful to his promises and we can rest in and be assured of the fact that his word is true. Here are these magi. They obviously do not have all the answers. They had no courses in theology or church history. They didn't know all the details. All they had was a reminder of a promise that there's going to be a savior, a ruler that's born in Israel. They had this understanding that there would be a star that would symbol his birth. And here they travel this great distance to find he who is the king of the Jews. Please understand loud and clear today that today, if you want to know the promises of God, we've got to do exactly what it's found consistently in Matthew chapter two. We've got to get back into the word of God. Matthew chapter four, verse four, when Jesus is facing temptation in the wilderness, he reminds us of something important. And here's what he says. He says, man shall not live by bread alone. All bread's good. Physically, it'll nourish you. But how should we live? But on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. 
Can I remind us today loud and clear that many of us live our lives discouraged, defeated, depressed, disheartened all along the way, but the reality is we don't have to live that way. We can live our life. Our soul can be ministered to. Our soul can be fulfilled and nourished as we live our life according to the word of God. Listen to what Solomon testified as he spoke about how God revealed his word through Moses. Here's what Solomon said in 1 Kings chapter eight. Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel. Anybody longing for rest today? According to all that he promised. Listen to this. Not one word has failed of all of his good promise, which he promised through Moses, his servant. So may the Lord our God be with us and he, as he was with our fathers, may he not leave us or forsake us so that we may incline our hearts to himself to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes, his ordinances, which he commanded our fathers. What Solomon is testifying is this, everything that God said to Moses, every word that he promised, he fulfilled and he did. And I wanna remind us loud and clear that the same God who was God in Moses' day, the same God that was God in the Magi's day is the same God who's God today. He's faithfully fulfilling his promises. Here's the question, are we seeking to know him? Are we seeking to discover his promises? Knowing that we find his promises in his word, listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 119. Lord, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. So I will meditate on your precepts and I will regard your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold things from your law. Please understand, when you and I treasure the word of God and we get in God's word and let God's word get into us, man, I'm telling you, we discover the promises of God so that we might know him more and grow in him more every single day. Reminded the illustration that was told one day of a, grandmother who was looking at her grandson who was getting ready to go off to college. And she began to think through what could be the most important gift she could give her grandson. And so she gave her grandson a Bible. And she encouraged him, now when you get off to college, I wanna encourage you every single day to read your Bible from beginning to end. Read your Bible. God, God's word will make you rich indeed if you make it the treasure of your heart. Young man went off to college, and like a lot of us do or did when we went off to college, he, he got caught up in the social life, and he got caught up in the scene of, of all the classes and all the exams and all the expectations that were upon him, and he got busy and distracted, and a few months later, he quickly began to realize that he was about out of money. So he called his sweet old grandmother, and he said, Grandma, I, I thank you for, for loving me. Thank you for this Bible you gave me, but I need you to pray for me. I don't have any money. I'm about broke. And of course, you know what he was really asking, don't you? He's asking for some sort of help along the way. And she said, well, I, I can't help you right now, but I tell you what, I'll pray for you and I'll pray for you and I want you to go to read Psalm 23. They get off the phone and of course he'd commit to do so, but he'd get busy and distracted. And so a few weeks later, he called grandma again. Grandma, how are you doing? She said, oh, I'm doing great. And grandma, will you pray for me? I'm broke, I don't have anything. Is there anything you could help me? And she said, well, yeah, you know what? I can help you. I can help you, I'm gonna pray for you and I would encourage you to go read Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Okay, Grandma, I'll do that. Of course, he committed to do so. He got busy. He got distracted the third week in a row. He calls again, Grandmama, I'm broke. Oh, son, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for you. Why don't you go read Hebrews 13, 5, and 6? Of course, once again, he forgot. Finally, Christmas time came. He came home to visit his grandma, and he visited with her, and he began to talk to her. He said, Grandma, I love you. Thank you for praying for me, but I, I don't understand why you wouldn't help me along the way. And she looked at him very kindly. She said, Son, have you been reading your Bible? Oh, yes, ma'am, I've been reading my Bible. 
Well, did you read Psalm 23? And did you read Matthew 28? And did you read Hebrews 13, 5? Oh, yes, ma'am, I read those. Well, son, I know that's not true. How do you know that, Grandma? Because in every single one of those passages and seven others, I put a fresh $100 bill in your Bible. <laughs> we would be rich indeed if we would study God's word like the treasure for him to speak to us and to guide us. It's not about that Benjamin. It's not about that dollar. It's about the riches of God's word. When you know the promises of God, when you know the truth of God, you are rich indeed. The discovery of God's word leads us to a decision with God's word. The decision of God's word. See, God's word never is given merely for our awareness, but for us to be called to a place of action. God's word is always given to us for the purpose of leading us into action. We see loud and clear that's exactly what happened with these wise men. I believe they've gotten an understanding of this Old Testament promise. There's gonna be a star. It's gonna be the indication of a ruler, a new ruler in Israel. And then they've seen the star in the sky. And what does it do? They don't just sit there and say, wow, this feels really good. How cool is this? What a neat phenomenon. Let's put it on social media. No. They begin to make haste. They begin to go as quickly as they possibly can. Why? Because they understand in this moment that God is giving an invitation. It doesn't matter the cost in this moment. It doesn't matter the inconvenience. It doesn't matter how long the journey. It doesn't, think of all the things they didn't know in this moment. There's a lot of answers they have no clue about. What's the name of the child? We don't know. Where's the child located? We don't know. How old is the child gonna be when you get there? We don't know. Is there any guarantee the child will not have been moved to another location? We don't know. Here's what we know. There's this promise of God. There's a star. So we're gonna go find him. Their decision is to ultimately seek Jesus because of who they believed him to be. They believed that this child was the king of the Jews and that the star was connected to him. After all, what an incredible moment as God is revealing, if you will, and announcing this reality through the appearance of a star. So I want you to see how they responded in light of the contrast to how other people in the pastor scripture responded. See, many of us hear God's promises. Maybe we've heard them preached on a Sunday morning. We heard them on the radio as we were driving down the road this week. Maybe a friend called us up and shared with us a word from the Lord. And yet what we do in those moments reveals a great deal about our relationship with God. Three ways that people often decide according to the promise of God. Number one, some people simply recognize the promises of God. They recognize them and nothing further. In other words, in this passage of scripture, here come the wise men. Hey, where is he who's born king of the Jews? We've seen a star in the east. We've come to worship him. The Bible tells us that Herod then looks at the priests, the chief priests and the scribes, and he asks them. He doesn't know the answer to the question. He does not know where this king of the Jews is to be born. And so the chief priests and the scribes, they know the answer. Why? Because they're chief priests and scribes. One of their primary responsibility is to study and to discern and to educate the people according to the word of God. In fact, one of their other responsibilities in that was to, to copy, if you will, the transcripts of the law so that people would know and understand what God's word has spoken. They asked the question, where is this king of the Jews born? And where do they get the answer? They have to go back to the word of God for the answer. Why? Because God's word contains the promises. God's word is the promise. God's word is the answer. So they look to God's word and they say, oh, by the way, there's this prophet. Micah the prophet prophesied in Micah chapter five, verse two, 
about the city of Bethlehem, that out of Bethlehem there would come a ruler who would shepherd the people of Israel. Please understand what's taking place in this moment. The scribes and the priests had a head knowledge of the word of God. They knew the answer to the question. They knew where to go. They knew the location of the long-awaited Messiah. But were they willing to go? No. Did they have a heart to worship? No. Did they have a heart to go find him and bow before him and worship him and give him their best? No. Why? Because all they had was a head knowledge of facts. They are like many religious people today. They seek to know the word, but that doesn't mean they know the Lord. They perhaps know the scriptures, but that doesn't mean they have a personal relationship with the Savior. They're like many today. Can, can I suggest to us, and, and, I, and just be very direct here, in good old Bible Belt America, Shenandoah Valley, Virginia, there are many of us who grew up going to church. Great granddaddy was a preacher. Grandmama was a prayer warrior. Daddy was a deacon in the church on Sundays. You sang all the songs. You memorized even the verses. There's a lot of us today who have a head knowledge. We think we're saved because we know certain facts in our head. But facts in your head do not mean a genuine, life-changing, soul-saving relationship that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. They represent many people who know the facts, but their hearts are not changed. Just this week, I... I just, just this week, I spoke with a man in a situation who's living in a very sinful situation. And he said, well, I, you know, I, yeah, I know this isn't right, but you know, I did what I did. And what he was describing was this. He knows in his head that it's wrong, but in his heart, there's no conviction and no repentance. The scribes, the priests, they represent those who recognize the promises of God, but they're not changed by them. Some simply outright reject the promises of God. There are many like the scribes and the priests, and there are some who are like Herod in this moment. Herod, who called himself the king of the Jews. Now, Herod ruled and reigned, frankly, with much fear and oppression. Herod was a very insecure leader. And the reason he was an insecure leader is because of this. In order to be, quote unquote, the king of the Jews, you had to be completely of Jewish origin and birth. But in Herod's case, that was not the situation. Herod had one parent who was Jew and another parent who was a Gentile. In other words, if they knew the truth about this, they would never openly accept him as the quote-unquote king of the Jews. Herod became quote-unquote the king of the Jews because he murdered the man who was that king and wiped him and all of his leadership out and he took the throne by force. And then in submission to him, he created such fear in his rule and reign that anybody who dared challenge him, he wiped them out. It didn't matter their age, their life stage, their experience, their claim, nothing. He just completely destroyed them. In fact, by the time you get to the end of Matthew chapter two, you begin to realize, frankly, how brutal and evil and wicked this man really was. So here come these magi. Can you picture the scene? They come to Jerusalem because it's logical. If a king of the Jews has been born, then surely he's gonna be born in the Jewish city of Jerusalem. They come to Jerusalem 
And they asked one of the most brutal tyrants of the day, basically this, where's the real king of the Jews that's been born? For we've seen his star and we've come to worship him. Can, can I just, I don't know if there's any movie that can fully depict, I mean, how much this would have rubbed Herod in all the wrong ways, right? I, I mean, I imagine this moment like, Herod is boiling up inside. I mean, his, he knows what he's done. He knows he's not the king of the Jews. He knows he doesn't even deserve to be in this throne. He's doing everything he can to get his way and to silence anybody who stands against it. Where's the, where's the real king of the, oh, I mean, I'm telling you this moment, he is boiling up inside. He goes to the scribes and the priests. He gets the answer. He comes back and he tells them the answer. Hey, I, I, by the way, it's interesting to me that when the Magi show up, they ask the question, where is he who is born the king of the Jews? Herod looks over at the scribes and the priests and he asks them, where is the Messiah to be born? Who said anything about the Messiah? The word Messiah means anointed one. The word Messiah is a reference to the Savior. These Magi come from a distance to ask, where is the king of the Jews that's been born? And Herod understands and he looks at them and says, yeah, where is the savior born? Isn't it interesting in the Christmas story, the first to officially identify Jesus as the savior was a wicked pagan king? Why? Because guess who's in control? God is in control. Where is the savior to be born? And the answer is in Bethlehem. So Herod asked them, Here's what I want you to do, or tell, tells them, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Bethlehem. You can go there and worship him, but after you worship him, I want you to come back so that I too may go and worship him. He had no intentions of that. Why? Because we see by the end of Matthew chapter two, he was gonna initially, initially he was going to send out a decree that every single child in the region, every firstborn male under the age of two would be killed. He's outright opposing and rejecting Jesus. Why? Because frankly, in Herod's life, he saw Jesus as competition. He knew that there was, only one room, there was only room for one ruler and one Lord of his life, and that was himself. The thought of accepting Jesus as the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Savior of the world, the thought of bowing and worship to Jesus was just too, too great for him. He wanted nothing to do with it. He was living his life for himself. And people who reject the promises of God, they always do. But some receive the promises of God. How can you identify those who genuinely receive the promises of God? Some recognize them but they're unchanged. Some outright reject them like Herod. How can you recognize those who receive the promises? Here's how you do it. You can always tell those who receive the promises of God because they are the ones who are continuing to pursue him. Let me ask you a question. Are you still pursuing the Lord? Are you still intentional about your relationship with him? Think of this for just a moment. Here are these magi. They've traveled, as some scholars believe, close to a thousand miles to get to Jerusalem. They've come all this way and they've come to a dead end. They're not sure where this, this, this king has been born. And, and then Herod tells them the answer. And frankly, in this moment, if they were living their life for their convenience, it would be easy to say, well, we did go find a king. We've done enough. Or in this moment, they could say, man, we gotta go even further. That's another five miles but we don't see any resistance, we don't see any complaint. Here's what we find. Verse eight, 
He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. When you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way. In other words, it's just a simple reminder to us that they believed what was spoken in Micah chapter five. They believed the word from God that this child was indeed born in Bethlehem. They believed the word from God that this Messiah was located there. They believed and that belief led them to action. I wanna remind us today that walking by faith always is seen by our actions. Hebrews chapter 11, verse one says it this way, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the conviction of things not seen. Verse six, and without faith, it's impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is and he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Let me ask you a question. Are you seeking the Lord? Are you pursuing him? Are you walking in faith even when you don't have all the answers? Are you relying upon the word of God or are you relying upon your own will? Are you seeing God's direction in your life as his invitation or are you resisting it as his interruption? Are we walking by faith and seeking the word and the will of God? Those who are wise still seek and ultimately even worship Jesus today, not for what we can get, but ultimately for who he is. Here's the question. Jeremiah 29 verse 13 says it this way. God promises you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me. What's the next phrase? With all your heart. Here's the question for us. Are we searching and seeking the Lord with all our heart? all our ambition, all of our focus, all of our passion, all of our effort, all of our energy? Are we seeking God with all of our heart? Third thing I want you to see this morning about trusting the promises of God is this. I want you to see the delight of God's promises. The delight of God's promises. Here in this moment, they have heard the message of Micah's prophecy from Micah chapter five. They have believed it to be true and they have decided to go and see for themselves. Why? Because they received the message and they're responding in faith. But what happens when we respond in faith to the promises of God? I wanna say to us today, it leads us to a few specific things. First, I want you to see what they experienced. What they experienced. The Bible tells us loud and clear that what they experienced was this. They experienced great joy. Listen to the scripture. After hearing the king, they went their way and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. <laughs> that phrase, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, is describing for us, frankly, a joy that was so overwhelming, a joy that was so overflowing, a joy that was so exuberant that, frankly, it's hard to express. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. It's like all sorts of emphasis putting it together. How do you respond when you get good news? I imagine you rejoice. How do you respond when you get really good news? I imagine there's a lots of rejoicing. How do you respond when you get really, 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 really good news, right? 
I mean, you're overwhelming. You're overflowing over that. You can't keep it in. In this moment, as they begin to walk by faith, they look, and as they do walk towards Bethlehem, just five miles away, suddenly that star appears, and that star leads them all the way to that house. And the Bible says when they saw it, they rejoiced exceedingly. Why? Because they knew that God was fulfilling his promise. They knew this was going to lead them to the Savior of the world. They knew this meant that God's word was true. They knew this meant that their journey wasn't in vain. They knew this meant that God was fulfilling every single word he had promised. Can I just say to us today, sometimes situations do not happen in the way that we think they should or the way we thought they would. Sometimes things don't happen in the timing that we're anticipating and sometimes God's plans look very different than our own. And yet as we're willing to rely upon his presence, and trust in his promises, guess what he still gives us? Guess what we still experience? We still experience joy. That doesn't mean that you're always gonna be happy. That doesn't mean that life is going to be easy. That doesn't mean that you're gonna be free from circumstances. And yet through it all, because of his presence and because of his power and because of his promises, we can have that joy that stands over our heart and life like a peace that strengthens us and protects us and helps us in every single moment of life. In fact, I find it very interesting that in every aspect of the Christmas story, in every character, in every passage, and in every scene, we see this underarching theme, this, this, this kind of thread being woven, woven, if you will, throughout the entire story, and that is the thread of joy. It wasn't because of an absence of circumstances. It wasn't because they had all the answers. It wasn't because life was easy. It was because God was working and moving and they trusted in him. We see that loud and clear as Elizabeth is pregnant with her baby, little John, and Mary walks into the room and she speaks. And because of the child within Mary's womb, the savior that God is molding and shaping in that moment. The Bible says that John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb, he leaped for joy. When Mary begins to praise God for what he's doing, the Bible tells us in Luke chapter one that in the midst of even her difficult situation, she cried out and said, my soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my savior. In Luke chapter two, when the shepherds are the outcasts of Israel, if you will, and they're out taking care of their sheep and the angel comes and says, hey, I've got good news of great joy for you, which would be for all the people. There is joy for all to experience it and we experience the presence of God and rest in his promises. That's what they experienced. But I want you to see secondly what they expressed. The delight of God's promise is that not only do we experience God's joy, but it brings us to a place of expression. It's not just joy that we might feel or experience, but it leads us to a place of response. Listen to what the Bible says in this passage. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshiped him. Why did they worship him? Because they believed who he is. I've been so blessed over the past 18 and a half years on many occasions to be with a family as as a little one has come into their life and has been born. Many times I've been able to visit in the hospital, not all the times, and sometimes I've been able to hold that child and every single child is. I've never bowed in worship to one. Why? 
Because I know they're just like me. They're born with a sinful nature just like me. Because he looks more like his daddy than his mama, and that's not a good thing usually. (laughs) I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But when they come in, these wise men of position and of authority and of wealth and of intelligence, they come in and they literally bow and worship. The picture here is of someone being prostrate before him. Why? Because they recognize this child is God in flesh. He's Emmanuel, God with us, the savior of the world. And he's of infinite value, even more than myself. They came and they bowed themselves in worship. But not only did they bow and worship, the Bible says they began to present gifts of gold and of frankincense and of myrrh. Why they gave these gifts, we don't know, but I find it very interesting that gold was a gift that was fitting for a king. It's as if they're recognizing that this is indeed the king of all the kings, the king of the Jews, the savior of the world. They brought gifts of frankincense. Frankincense was, was that which was used by the priests. It was, it was burned there in the temple before sacrifices were offered. And the only people who could offer that frankincense in that moment was the high priest. It's a picture as if they're saying, we recognize this child is the high priest. This child is the one who's going to intercede on behalf of the people. And they brought the gift of myrrh. Who in their right mind would ever give myrrh to a baby? You know what myrrh was? Myrrh was a spice that was used to prepare and anoint a body for burial. Can can you imagine the scene? Giving a child a gift, something that was used to treat a dead body? Yet God and his sovereignty is working. Why? Because there's a significant picture there of the very reason and purpose that this child came. He came not to live a posh and comfortable life. He came to give his life on the cross for your sins and mine. When Jesus left heaven's throne and came to this earth, he knew he came for a specific purpose. And that's why he would say of himself, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Friend, I wanna remind you that Jesus knew why he came to this earth. He knew he was coming to give his life in your place and in mine because we are sinners in need of a savior and the only savior is him. The delight of God's promises is that they experienced God's joy and they expressed worship sincerely, giving their best to the Lord. Final thing I want you to see this morning is the devotion of those who receive God's promises. You know, you could almost spend the entire message just on the gifts that they brought and why. But the story doesn't end there. You can tell those who receive God's promises by faith because they continue to pursue the Lord. It doesn't mean that they are perfect, but one of the other evidences is simply this. They are genuinely devoted to God. They continue to walk by faith. Remember, These magi have been threatened by wicked King Herod. Once you've worshiped him, why don't you come back and let me know where he's at? Why? Because he wants to get rid of him. That's not what he says. Because I want to go and worship him myself. And what we're saying is these magi were in a great predicament. If they were to disobey the word of this brutal king, the chances are he's going to hunt them down to get rid of them. You dare not cross a king, much less King Herod. So in this moment, the Magi, not certain of what to do, the Bible tells us in verse 12, 
they were warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod. So what do you do? Do you obey the king or do you obey God? There's no other way around it. They obey the king and do exactly what he demands or you obey God and experience the cost and consequence of it. And the Bible says in verse 12, very simply, the Magi left for their own country by another way. In other words, they were devoted to God, believing that he could take care of them, protect them. And even if he didn't, whatever the cost, they were gonna honor God and obey him. They were devoted to the Lord and to his word. In other words, as we've already seen in Hebrews chapter 11, they were walking and living by faith. I wanna encourage you this week, go back and read all of Hebrews chapter 11 and be reminded of countless examples and illustrations of people who walked and lived by faith. In spite of incredible cost and consequences, they kept pressing in by conviction to live for God, honor him and obey him and all they did. That's what God is calling us to do today. He's calling us to surrender our lives, our will, ultimately to him, that we're walking forward, we're in relationship with him, and that we're living according to his promises. You know, in Matthew chapter two, I went ahead and included in our main text this morning, verses 13 through 15, because of just a little something that happens in these verses. I wanna read them again, if you will. Look with me at verses 13 through 15, because what's happening here in this moment is God is giving us kind of like a, just a little nugget, if you will, of truth to hold on to. I don't know about you, but have you ever gone throughout your day and you've had probably 100 conversations, but there's that one conversation along the way that you just knew was from the Lord. It might've been that business deal. It might've been that word of encouragement. It might've been that conversation that gave you some means of instruction. In the midst of all the minutes and hours of the day, there was that one moment that just stood out. as like, hey, you gotta remember God's faithfulness here. Well, God gives us a little nugget here to kind of hold on to, to remember something. Verse 13, when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, take the child and his mother and flee to where? Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. In fact, we know from the following verses, and history even records, that Herod would soon send out a decree that every single male child under the age of two in Bethlehem would be killed. Horrible, tragic, evil, dark, wicked, chaotic, confusing, everything you can imagine, it was that night. In fact, the Bible would tell us about the amount of weeping that would take place in Bethlehem that evening. Verse 14, Joseph got up, took the child and his mother while it was still night, and he left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod, and this was to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, out of where? Egypt, I called my son. Pastor, why do you make emphasis of this? For this simple reason. There are many prophecies in the Old Testament about a coming savior, a coming Messiah. And many of the prophecies, even though they weren't looking for them to be fulfilled in Jesus, the Jewish people understood them and they understood how they connected and they understood how they applied and they looked forward one day to this savior that would come. But this prophecy of Egypt just kind of seems incredibly strange and bizarre. Why? Because Egypt was primarily a Gentile land. 
So, so wait a second, God. You're saying all throughout the Old Testament, all these prophecies of old, I mean, thousands of years that are covered in this moment, and you're telling us that you're gonna bring a savior into the world of the Jews. Salvation is of the Jews. You're bringing a savior into the world, but you're gonna call him out of a largely Gentile land? From man's perspective, that seems to make just about this much sense. But what was happening in the midst of this moment? God was not the author of Herod's wickedness and evil. And yet God in his sovereignty was overruling and working and moving in such a way that he would tell Joseph, Joseph, get up. Herod's coming to kill him. You've got to get away to Egypt right now. You're going to be there. You're going to be safe. You're going to be fine until he's gone. And then I'm going to call you out again. And what does he do? He calls Joseph out of Egypt to come and bring Jesus to Nazareth. In fact, if you read all of Matthew chapter two, you can read a five specific prophecies, Old Testament promises that God was fulfilling in that moment. What does it prove? It proves that God's word is true. It proves that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. It proves that God fulfills his promises. It proves that today, you can trust God. Here's the question. Do you? Well, I know, I know all the Bible. I, I, I know those things in the church. You can have more knowledge than the chief priests and scribes who were limited in the amount of God's word that they had. They only had the Old Testament. You could know every chapter and verse, but that does not mean you have a relationship with God and trust him. Well, I, I'm a person of position and influence. I'm wealthy. Great. That a boy. Awesome. That does not mean you have a relationship with God. In fact, in many ways, it can be a distraction because you can begin to trust in your riches instead of a relationship with Jesus Christ. The wise men did not know all the answers. They didn't know the entire path. They didn't know the end from the beginning. Here's all they knew. That the God of Israel has given a promise. The God of Israel has given an invitation. We must respond by faith. And I ask you today, will you? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for your word. You always accomplish what you say you're going to do. You always accomplish what you set forth to do from your word. God, I'm reminded even still today that your word tells us that faith comes by hearing the word of God. Lord, I pray today that we would not lean on our own understanding, but that we would look to you. We would trust in you and surrender our will to you. Father, I pray that we would not be like the scribes and the priests who had a head knowledge, but they did not respond with faith. Father, if there are any of us here today who have that head knowledge, but we don't genuinely have a relationship with you, God, would you show us that right now? I pray that you convict us of sin, convict us of our need for Jesus, show us with clarity that Jesus is the Savior of the world, and I pray, God, that today will be the day that we invite Jesus to be the Lord of our life. Father, I pray for that. Father, I pray if there's anyone here today or watching online who 
is even more like Herod, living our life for ourselves, doing what we want to do, living as if there's room for only one Lord and and we're living our life to please ourselves for our own glory, name, and fame. God, I pray that today would be a day of repentance where we humble ourselves before you. And God, for your glory and for the sake of eternity, I pray if there's any Herod in this room or any Herod that's hearing online that is unrepentant today, I pray that you would humble them Humble them. God, I thank you and I praise you that years ago when I was that Herod, I thank you that you broke me. I thank you, God, that you put me in a place where I literally could not run from you any further. And though that season was painful and that situation, I... When I think over, I still grieve. I praise you because through that season, you brought me to you. You revealed yourself in my life in a personal way. You transformed me and I'm grateful. So Father, for the Herods listening right now, would you bring them to that place of repentance to show them there is grace and mercy as they humble themselves before you? Father, would we be challenged and encouraged by the example of these wise men that we don't have to know it all, but if we know that Jesus is Lord, that he's the king of all kings, and if we're willing to respond with faith and worship, God, that there's nothing you can't do to forgive us, cleanse us, accept us, change us. God, would you draw us to yourself today? I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any questions about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.